Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Hey, hey, what do you say? Draft Drake May. What's up? I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings, and I'm going to have ZD do my bets today. Hey, this is Arif Hassan with the Wide Left Substack. There is a stone cold killer in the previous cold open, and it is not Luke Braun. Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman. Only 98 days, guys, until the 2024 NFL draft. The bid is back, baby. We're back. Locked on Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's Welcome in to the Minnesota football party on a Thursday. My name's Sam Ekstrom. You met the Lukes. You met Arif. You met the Bunny. It's time to talk Vikings for the next hour. Ron Johnson joins as the show is in progress. We're going through our QB target series today. It's Drake May that we focus on and our free agency target series, defensive tackles today who could be future Minnesota Vikings. And I also, we're going to have a broader conversation about how to solve and fix the Minnesota Vikings offense that was so ailed, uh, particularly in the second half of the season without Kirk Cousins. Big asterisk there, but we're still going to talk about it and make our divisional round bets on a show that is brought to you by Prize Picks the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code all lowercase locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right. Thank you so much as well for watching us on Locked on Sports Minnesota on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe if you haven't and find us on the Locked on Vikings audio feed. You can also watch us on the 24-7 YouTube stream. Hear us on the Sirius XM app and myriad other ways to consume Locked on Sports Minnesota. Let's dive right into it. Luke Braun, going to you first. Fixing the offense. Is it so simple as to say, as you've said many times, stop fumbling, idiots? Or is there something deeper that could solve this offense that regressed this season, half the season played without Kirk Cousins? For me... They the key downs is where they really failed. When their best was required, they were not at their best. They go from 12th to 18th in third down percentage, from 8th to 28th in red zone scoring percentage. To me, those are the tangible ways where this offense kind of stunk. Um, and the fumbles, of course, 31 in turnover, 31st in turnovers. You can't win that way. Luke Braun, give it to me. Yeah, weren't they like 0 and 0 for 4 and following through on Kevin O'Connell slogans. Like just really never had situational masters, situational oh, sure. masters, yeah. do your best when your required. best is required. What are his other slogans? Did they Great. activate things? Because he uses the word activate a lot. They didn't activate, activate. a lot of things. Yeah. Didn't activate Justin Jefferson for, uh, until they hey. lost too many games. Hey, Adam, uh, yeah, I but mean, according to you, Ron, that was totally above board. <laughs> like a lot of it is is luck, which is pretty dissatisfying because yeah. then there's not really a solution to that except for like hope it's better next time. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you lose your quarterback for half the season. You lose Justin Jefferson for half the season. That will take a toll on things. Turn the ball over a whole bunch. That will take a toll on things. Um, I think it would be cool to get a starting running back, which they did not have all year. Uh, like one that should be starting. 
that, remember that when you were like an help. egghead who believed in analytics like two years ago? No. Months ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, here part of the argument is that it's like cheap as heck to do that because nobody pays running backs anymore. Like it's really easy. It's a it's a very easy thing to do. You do I, not need no, to spend I, a lot of money. I agree. I just it's always funny to advocate for getting a running back because it feels like a betrayal of principles, even though it clearly I is know not. it still feels yeah, but then you watch there. Alexander it's Madison right. on game. Yeah, and you're like, like you trying to do duo this. for a year and you're like, all right, I get it. I, I, there's, a, there's a there's a there there. <laughs> let's get something let's get something there but i mean that can be a third round draft pick or it can be a six million dollar free agent like whatever right yeah uh that would be very cool and then i i think honestly i think schematically i liked a lot of what they did yeah um and i think it was just that down the stretch they were trying to do this dob thing and then i don't think they did a good job of setting up jaron hall i think they did a very good job of setting up nick mullins but you can only control so much of Nick Mullins. <laughs> like there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really like project forward into next year that went wrong, which might be encouraging. I, I think for me, I'm a lot more concerned long-term about the defense and the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Like, can you get your guys to stop getting injured and turning the ball over? Because I mean, you can get into the run game like you talked about a little bit, and I know you know nothing's close to perfect, but when everyone is healthy, including Kirk Cousins, and they're not turning the ball over, I just truly believe this is a top seven, top eight kind of offense all day long between J.J., Addison now, Hawkinson, the bookend tackles. I think Luke's right. Like Schematically, KOC has the right idea. It's not far off. I mean, I, I think the potential – is even a top five offense really on paper. I think a couple of things you can look at Luke's right. Like it's not even being 28th in rush attempts for me, because if your strength is in your quarterback and the passing weapons, then you should be passing the ball. But being 25th in EPA per rush, 22nd in yards before contact, I think that's where you want to see a little bit of improvement. And I think it's just a, is it a mixture of the scheme, the blocking up front, just the talent you have at running back? Maybe you go draft a running back on day three. Um, you know, their success rate rushing the ball was in the top 10. So I don't think it's a matter of running the ball more necessarily, but just running it more efficiently when you do. I'd like to see some stats or analytics actually on some of the pre-snap motion that was used this year too, because it didn't seem like KOC used that as much as I thought he would compared to last year. And even going back to when he was hired, watching some of the Rams offense and running games specifically, maybe that could create some better running angles and lanes more consistently, consistently as well. But being more efficient running the ball, I think is kind of an obvious one. The hot, cold stretches this offense went through too. even going back to last year that Miami game really sticks out to me when I hear that uh two and a half quarters it felt like of just nothing you kind of get bailed out with the Dalvin Cook splash play but just finding more ways to be more consistent moving the chains keep the drives moving last year they were one of the best at opening drive success rates this year they fell off dramatically and again a lot of that had to do with the turnovers but some of it was just bad execution too so I think they're really close they're on the verge of cementing themselves as a top 10 offense if not even better it is in some of the small details though they need to clean up and I think if they can fix that hold on to the ball stay healthy I think that's the difference between a top 10 offense and and what we've seen them struggle with the past two years, too. It, it felt like the antithesis of last year in many ways in that turned it over a ton, weren't great opening drive, weren't great late in games, 
But over the course of a full game, maybe even a hair more consistent this year than last year, where a hair more like a negative year, EPA. They were insanely inconsistent. They right. Much more consistent this year. Negative EPA last year in the first three quarters, right? And then a historically good EPA in the fourth quarter. This year was <laughs> yeah. definitely more spread out and then it was yes. derailed, hijacked, destroyed by turnovers time and time again. So, okay, so I think just in terms of improving the offense, it's actually a really difficult discussion because they didn't have Justin Jefferson for seven games and have Kirk Cousins for, what, like nine games. It's, like, mm-hmm. really tough to, like, evaluate that offense. I think that uh, – and also, Luke, uh, you know, the last episode we did talk a little bit about uh, motion, so you wanted to know about that. Oh, very The Vikings um, are 15th in the NFL okay. or finished the season. 15th in the NFL in pre-snap motion, uh, which uh, means more than it would have three years ago because league-wide pre-snap motion is up, right? Sure, In part sure. because of these findings, right? Compared to last um, year's number? Uh, I don't remember last oh, year's number, but I believe it. it's up compared to last year's number. Okay, just curious, um, yeah. But I will say this. I do think that, uh, and again, really tough to to develop this in an offense where you don't have your starting quarterback or even uh, that starting uh, star-wide receiver. Um, but I, I think that the offense was less creative than last year it felt like a lot of the concepts that were being run were very similar from game to game to game without a lot of building off of it tough to do that when you are teaching your quarterback the offense mid-game like it's right. tough to be like hey man normally you run a dig here this is what the safety does against the dig when they're in cover four uh and so actually here we want you to run a post uh if the safety is here And it's like, okay, well, if you want the receiver to do that, your quarterback has to know that that's the game. And the quarterback doesn't even know there's a dig there yet, right? Like, it's tough. So uh, I don't know about this as a criticism, but as an improvement that they could make. Yeah, I think that developing creativity and using self-scouting to generate more advantages is better there. Um, I I don't love just generally saying, hey, these are these are things that work. We need more of it just because there's always a context to it. But I do think that the Vikings could have invested themselves a little bit more in the bootleg play action game, which uh, I mean, Luke is uh, Luke Braun has written already a little bit about how that works for some quarterbacks and it doesn't work for other quarterbacks. And you have to be pretty judicious about it. I think for Kirk Cousins, it works very, very well. And mm-hmm. I would like to see a little bit more of it, regardless of how often they run the ball. And I think Kevin O'Connell is a little bit too attached to the idea that he has to run the ball well in order to do a boot action. Well, he doesn't. And, and I think that um, he kind of academically knows that, but I don't think he feels that in games. And I think that he has to kind of trust uh, that the numbers are, are working to his advantage there. I would like to see a little bit more pre-snap motion, but actually more than pre-snap motion is playing with tempo more often. And if you have to sacrifice doing pre-snap motion in order to play with tempo more often, I'm comfortable with that. This is not something I've seen a ton of people in analytics cover, but that's kind of, those are kind of trade-offs a little bit. Um, and I think that the Vikings do pretty well when they screw around with defensive timing by changing when they snap the ball mm. and how often, uh, you know, they get, they get the ball quickly versus late and what advantages that can or can't provide. So I would like to see a little bit more no huddle in the middle of games, not make a no huddle offense, not run a K gun or anything like that, but to play around with tempo to keep defenses a little bit off track. So stuff like more creativity, more boot action, more tempo, maybe more pre-snap motion. Those are the things I would like. But again, a lot of these things may not have appeared last year because you want a quarterback comfortable in your offense before you can, you have to make sure they know the rules before you can break the rules essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Dobbs didn't know the rules. Mullins doesn't 
no rules. I think it's kind of a weird. He doesn't respect rules. Yeah, rules are not a thing in his universe. Uh, and then Jared Hall obviously is still like learning the system, and so trying to like you know pivot and 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 color outside the lines when he's already kind of trying to figure out what the lines are. That's tough too. So that's where the offense can improve, but it's not necessarily a criticism of how it was handled. Remember when when Kevin O'Connell tried to do a quick snap and pre pre snap motion at the same time in a fourth and one in overtime? Yeah, sure do. Can, can mm-hmm. an answer to this question be be less idiots? Like, don't be idiots as much. Like, there's so many times that they, it was just whether you call drop idiot stuff, fumble idiot stuff, penalties, all of that stuff. From down to down to down, idiots. when they played the straight up game, they were really good on offense. They moved the ball really consistently except for certain quarterback debacles. Uh, but then they were idiots and they yeah, lost. Kirk Cousins led the league in, in passes that were dropped in week 13. He hadn't been playing for like five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Insane, dude. Insane. Well, the, and the Vikings, the Vikings only fumbled, well, lost a fumble once in the last 11 or so weeks and still either led the league or were one of the top. <laughs> That's how badly yeah. they, they started throwing interceptions then too. They kind of yeah, and then, you know, and then yeah. luck is going to yeah. dry, dry up. We have to replace four. these turnovers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Detroit. Yeah, there's a turnover vacuum. Yeah, um, we have to replace that production. Quick inventory on Josh Oliver because this was the He's magic. Good. I won't hear otherwise. This was going yep. to fix, improve, enhance the offense. Here's the final numbers on Oliver this year. Uh, 27 snaps a game, fifth amongst tight ends in run blocking, 50-something pass blocking, um, 313 yards, and the running game did not meaningfully improve. So was that worth it? Uh, I mean, I I guess it wasn't worth it for last season because I didn't have a running back that could take advantage of the things that he was doing. But that's like saying, like, getting a better guard's not worth it because your run game didn't improve. Like, it's a good investment. It didn't bear out because it has. there's a necessary synergy for it to bear out. And the other element of that investment did not bear out. So it's not as if the Vikings made a bad decision signing Josh Oliver, nor did they use him wrong. Um, it's that they didn't find a way to take advantage of what he does. Um, yeah, I would get a running back. It'd be fine. Uh, if you ask any like defensive coach about like whether or not they would rather face a diverse run game that has all kinds of different things that runs a little bit of gap stuff, a little bit of zone stuff comes from different personnel, or if they'd rather face a, a, an offense like the 2019 Vikings that kind of spammed the same thing over and over and over again, but they were really good at executing those particular plays. They'd basically always rather go against the team that has less plays. Like versatility is a nightmare for defensive coaches. And that's what Josh Oliver gave you because he can pull, he can block this. He can, you, you can have him uh, lead block. You can have him, you know, just double team an edge rusher with a tackle. Uh, all of that allowed the Vikings to be so much more multiple in their run game. And boy, howdy, there's a lot of really well blocked run plays that just didn't work because so the running back couldn't see. It was all there. Uh, the reason all- I uh, or just is wasn't cause... fast enough to hit the hole. The reason I laughed at what you said, Luke, is because it reminded me of something Mike Zimmer did. I think it was 2019 or 28, 2018 when DeFilippo was in uh, the building, right? Um, which I think was the first year of Kirk Cousins. So I think that was 2018, right? Anyway, yeah. whatever year that was. Um, 
That was before. when I started Locked On Vikings by caping for John D. Filippo literally the day before he got fired. Oh, cool. I wrote an article caping for John D. Filippo the day before he got fired. Uh, <laughs> we're all stupid. It's fun, and I cannot believe people <laughs> listen to or watch the show. Anyway, the funny thing that Mike Zimmer did was before the Chicago, or before the first, no, second Chicago game, for the second Chicago game, he was like, it is a nightmare to go up against Matt Nagy. And we were like, what are you talking about? That offense stinks. Uh, and he's like, no, there's like 400 pages of plays. It's incredible. They run every play you could possibly imagine. It's impossible to prepare for. It's so tough to do. And then like the next week he was like, man, I've, I effing hate this offensive coordinator we have. He has way too many plays. It is so ridiculous. How can you coach our players if he has this many plays? And I was like, you come on one pick one but i get it because there's one as a defensive and oppositional coach that you're preparing um and then there's one as an as non-oppositional coach where you're trying to figure out if your players can execute so i get it but it was very funny that like those two things happened within like a week of each other that's classic zim uh we got ron johnson coming up we're also going to hit on drake may and free agent defensive tackles before the show is over on Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest. Big or small, certain things can really start to get to you. It's important to let that out, especially to someone who's unbiased in your life. There's great value to that processing, to talk to somebody who's sort of outside of that inner circle that can listen, that can help you work through things. Therapy can be different for everybody. It's not one size fits all. Most of us have bigger problems than our favorite sports team. It's important to get things off your chest once in a while. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Totally online, which makes it flexible, suited to your schedule. Visit BetterHelp.com slash locked on to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on. Get paired up with a therapist of your choosing. Switch anytime. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on. Ron Johnson joins us now, a host of the Ron Johnson show at three Ron Johnson on Twitter slash X. Welcome in Ron. Um, we're talking before the show is done about free agent targets for the Vikings and more so just positionally speaking. I think that, Defensive line, edge, and defensive tackle are both major needs for Minnesota. Defensive tackle didn't offer much at all in the way of pass rush this year. How big of a priority is that for you, Ron, going ahead into free agency? Uh, I mean, so the thing about the defensive tackle spot, when you look at, again, it's I keep coming back to this defensive coordinator thing. So it depends on if Brian Flores is going to stick around. His name hasn't popped up, thank goodness, on a lot of the short list so far. Um, so it seems like all signs pointing to him coming back within his defense. I don't know if so much he needs a defensive tackle as much as he needs rush ins. Like he needs outside linebackers that are true outside linebackers. Um, if you look at some of the teams that we, we, we were like high on, like the Philadelphia Eagles, for instance, most of their pressure came from Brandon Graham and a lot of the edge rushers. Um, Brian Flores finds ways to get Josh Metellus there. He uses Cam Bynum. He uses Harrison Smith. Uh, he's going to use his linebackers as well. So 
I think with Brian Flores, it's not so much a defensive tackle, but more so those rush ends. I, I feel like that's going to be priority number one is how can I create pressure, whether it's Zadarius Smith coming back, whether it's, um, you know, looking into the, the draft and, and getting a, a true outside linebacker in a 3-4 system. I think that's going to be the key because if you look at the teams they're playing next year, it, it's not a, a, te- a bunch of teams that I feel like they should be scared of the run game. You know, and, and I think that's the key. This NFL is going to a passing style offensive game, even with running quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts. It's still a throwing offense. And so I think at the end of the day, you you have to be able to get home with those guys. But stopping that middle rush, guys are finding ways now without having like dominant Pat Williams, Kevin Williams type guys. Now, if you're going to go that route, then you got to go four three. I think if you go defensive tackle or nose, cock nose, you only need one. You need one dog who's going to be a true cock nose, and he's going to be in that 3-4 middle. Um, but, again, I don't feel like Brian Flores' 3-4 is a true 3-4. He doesn't use the nose guard in that. And, like, uh, like going all the way back to my Detroit Lions days with Jerry Ball. Like, you know, he doesn't use a guy like Jerry Ball to say, you just take up three guys at once and everybody else go eat. He doesn't do that. Ron, if you had to pick one non-starter from last year's roster you think could end up being a starter in 2024, who would it be? And I guess we're calling Ivan Pace a starter. Yeah, um, yeah. Just a guy who flashed enough as a backup you think could maybe or should have a bigger role next season if you're if we're trying to find yeah. some young talent that's still maybe a little untapped. Ah, uh, I don't really <laughs> – I hate to say it. I don't feel like anybody. Like, yeah, there's not a lot of I options. I don't feel like any of the backups – I mean, I get Ivan Pace was the backup, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the guy that we thought was going to be a backup. Um, so, bigger role for him. I don't know if his role can get bigger, but I think, you know, year two leadership role. Uh, I, I just hope he doesn't have a sophomore slump. We've heard that before where that second year, uh, maybe you're reading your headlines too much. Maybe you're you're into – you know, you're not working as hard because you're not an undrafted guy anymore and you fall behind because somebody else comes in and works their tail off. Um, but if there is a guy that sticks around, I'm going to say Brandon Powell. I think Brandon Powell, when you watch how the uh, the Dolphins, I saw a number with the Dolphins. When Tyreek Hill had 99-plus yards a game, they were 9-0. and When he had less than 99 yards, they were 1-6 or something like that. And so w- when you think about that, like that's crazy. To think Tyreek Hill's 99 yards. So, but I think what it is is the usage of Tyreek Hill. Like, he scares people if you put him in the slot, you motion him, you're going to do jet sweeps. You have to honor everything he's doing. I think that's more. So, I'm looking at a guy like Brandon Powell that, you know, if you want to be a true smash and dash type team where you're spreading guys out, but you're also horizontal passes, horizontal passing has to go to Brandon Powell. Like, I think he's a jitterbug that can make plays happen. But that's, again, that's if he's back. That's a good. I had Jay Ward, Theo Jackson, and Jaquelin Roy written down. Any of those guys, if you had to pick one, you think could yeah, be a starter? I, I like the Jay, the Jay Ward and Theo Jackson. Not starters though, but I, sure. I do think you know, like Harrison Smith. Again, you know, he he gave the same kind of speech uh, Jason Kelsey did. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's you know, if I'm tired of playing, I'm not going to play anymore. It's like you just don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and so if Harrison Smith was to go away, I think Josh Metellus becomes the natural starter at safety. And then, yeah, I could see Theo Jackson and Jay Ward filling in uh, as a true back-end guy. But I think Josh Metellus is going to continue to be a Swiss Army knife. So, yeah, if they want him to be a Swiss Army knife and be a third starter, they're going to have to find a back-end safety like a Theo Ward or, or, you know, one of those two to be a true Mm -hmm. back-end safety. Yeah. 
Do you think that defense is going to change a lot? It, it seems like we're like Brian Flores isn't going to get a head coaching inter, uh, interview at all, let alone a job. Um, but do you think that they're going to keep trying this sort of unorthodox scheme, even with how it kind of fell apart down the stretch? Oh, so I think a part of those injuries, like you yeah, think about the cornerbacks that were out. Um, yeah, losing Murphy so, was huge. So, so a lot of the yeah, a lot of the changes back in wise uh, with injury, just teams. Uh, I think it's going to change a little bit. This is what I think will change. Brian Flores, like <laughs> I hate to use this term, but letting somebody kick you in the nuts over and over again and not realizing I need to change. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's where this defense ended up towards the end. Like they were getting kicked in, in the groin and they weren't changing. Like every once in a while, just play cover four, just play cover two and let your guys cover. Like you don't always have to just blitz a quarterback. The, the cool thing about blitzing the quarterback doesn't know it's coming. If you blitz at an unseed rate, they're prepared. Like, they're going to mm. prepare for it. And that's why I think Jay Gruden rest his – you know, not rest his soul. He's not dead. Uh, bless his heart. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> bless his heart. <laughs> not rest his soul. He's still alive. Jay Gruden. Well, still after, alive. after what RG3 did to him, I don't know. Man. I don't know. tried gonna, to put him in the ground. Yeah. Still, yeah. That's not going to bring up. So, Jay Gruden was my coach in Orlando. Um, he was a narcissist when it comes came to like how he treated quarterbacks. Um, he belittled them like he once got dressed at halftime and, and put himself in the game as quarterback in an arena league game. Like that, how do you? That's how you really make your quarterback feel like crap. It's like, look, I'll do it. You you just go sit on the side. Let me show you how to do this. And so when you think about Jay Gruden, oh, hold on, his, hold on. Did it go well? Did he play better? I don't, than the I don't remember. It was the year before. Is it like a year or two before I actually got there? I just heard the story when I got there because our quarterback at the time was Shane Stafford was his name. No relation to Matthew. Right. Um, and they had knockout drag out fights in games where it was like FUJ. Like, I mean, I remember he threw an interception one time and then came back and threw a fade to me to win the game against Kansas City, which Ricky Foggy, funny enough, was the coach. And uh, we beat them on the last second, like and it wasn't Hail Mary because the fields were like 50 yards, but it was like a 40, it's like a, yeah. like a 40 yard throw or something, which in arena league, that's a deep ball. Um, and we came away with the win and he literally like looked at Jay like F you like and said it, you know, so like it was a very toxic relationship they had. But I've heard other stories about Jay and the co- and the teams he's been a part of. But anyway, um. He was trying to say that if he had ever sent a quarterback into a game unprepared for the blitz like they did Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, he's like, I apologize, and that's when RG3 jumped in. So to his point, if you know you're going to get blitzed you know, at a rate like that, come into the game with blitz beaters, and that's what teams start doing to Brian Flores down the stretch. They was like, look, let's just have a bunch of blitz beaters. Here's the quote-unquote word we're going to use. If it's tango, if it's cowboy, cowboy, whatever it is, if it's here we go, Whatever it is, here's <laughs> here's our word uh, to let you know what you're gonna do within this blitz scheme, and then after that, it's like, look, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna hold the like guys, just give me a half a second. That's what the Packers did. Give me a half a second because somebody's gonna come wide open because they don't have enough guys to cover four. Like they're blitzing eight, weeks and four in a route. I'm I'm gonna take a hit, but I'm gonna do it running backwards and throw it off my back foot, and that's what Jordan Love did. Uh, that's also what you saw Josh Allen do. Uh, and so when, when quarterbacks know they can and, – and, and Jordan Love did it to the Cowboys too. But when you can do that, every once in a while fake the blitz and then drop seven to cover. And then the quarterback screwed because in his mind he's like, oh, shoot, I was expecting a blitz. Now what do I do? 
And that's what you see in some of these quarterbacks that everybody's like, oh, that's just a covered sack. Or that's just like Ryan Flores really never had covered sacks. And I think that's what's going to have to change. So uh, when it comes to looking at these quarterbacks, when we talk about how like Jordan Love adapted really well to the blitz, how we saw, you know, Josh Allen do a very good job kind of changing the circumstances. It's not something that Cousins is known for, but it's something he's done a little bit better over the past two years. And I just kind of wonder, and I know that these what ifs are like very obnoxious, but because of Cousins' reputation as like a guy who doesn't do well in the playoffs, but also as a guy who's done better in clutch situations over the past two years, genuinely, do you think that if Cousins and Jefferson were healthy and obviously huge if, right, that they make waves in the play, they have a deep yes. playoff run? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, the reason I say that is because, like, Justin Jefferson is not going to shy away from the big moments. Like, people try to say Tyreek Hill shied away. I don't think Tyreek shied away. Tyreek Hill froze his butt off. Like, his, his yeah. blood was Miami blood, and he had been in Kansas City for a while, so he was used to it. But then when you're away from it, it's like coming back to Minnesota after a vacation in Florida or Mexico, and then your body just takes time to adjust. Tyreek Hill just didn't have time to adjust. So you see him running around. His hands, before he's about to get jammed, are in his hand warmer. Like, that's ridiculous. That's rough. <laughs> that's rough. Oh, no. And then he gets, like, oh. absolutely jammed to the ground because he forgot. I don't know if he forgot or he couldn't get his hands out quick enough. But it's like before the snap, he's sitting there like this, looking at the quarterback, huh? and then he put like, there's no way you're going to come out of this, get rid of a guy, and then go. Snee was like, all right, you, you want to try me like this? I got some of this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know if that coverage was supposed to be pressed, but I guarantee he probably looked and like, this dude's hands is in his hand. All right. Because he's back like two yards, and then he just like charges at him. Like he doesn't even try to cover. Right. It's like, I'm going to catch you off guard. And so, like, you know, little things like that, when I, when you think about Justin Jefferson in the playoffs, like, he's he went to Buffalo and killed it in the cold. Like, he's built for those type of moments. And he lives in Minnesota. So, just walking around in this crap at, what, five degrees, you're naturally, your body's naturally just going to be okay being in weather like this. And there's all types of, like, you know, equipment you wear, and blah, blah. But, yes, I, I think Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson – um, they definitely fully healthy the entire year. Kirk Cousins is a different beast. Like, there's just certain throws, and, and I know Luke's seen it, uh, Inman, when you watch, or sorry, uh, Bron, well, Inman maybe, but I know Bron <laughs> watches a lot more film. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> <when> you, <laughs> We're just morphing you, into the same guy in Ron's head right good. now. No, this is good. Yeah, this has been happening you, for a while. You watch Ron. The, <laughs> when you watch the film, you can see guys were open for both Josh Dobbs and what's his name, Mullins and Hall. And they just like looked away too quick. Like they didn't read yes. the top high safeties. They didn't understand what the play call was and they just panicked, looked right. And then they took off, you know, like the D'Amico, I love the D'Amico Ryan's, uh, you know, the, the behind the scenes, of what we're seeing now where he's telling the linebacker, which it's nothing special. People are like, Oh, he, he told him what to do. Like it basically just, that's what you're supposed to do. Like you're in cover too. You're supposed to sit and rob the hook or the flat. And all he said was, don't move, just stay, and then rob the hook or flat. That's all he said. Read Flacco's eyes. So he didn't do anything special. Everybody's like, oh, he knew the play was coming. No, he didn't. You just happened to videotape him saying that, and it just happened to work out. But anyway, um, that that's what I see. <laughs> that's what I see in this. It's just it's that ability where Kirk Cousins can see, like, okay, 
and not all the time, because I don't want to become viral like Kirk Cousins and everybody finds an interception reel of Kirk Cousins, but like he has the ability sometimes to see cover two and just know where to put the ball and where to go with it, where these other guys just kind of panicked a little sooner than they had to. And I think that was the big difference in like not even being able to make the playoffs. Uh, Dallas showed us who they were. I think the Vikings would have went in and beat the Cowboys. I think the Vikings could have beat the Eagles because it was a one-score game before. The Eagles completely like we're going to get a 30 for 30 on their demise. Who knows what happened to them? Um, I, I think the Vikings could have like the, the only team to me, honestly, that I'm like, I don't know, is the Bucks. The Bucks look really good. And they have something that the Vikings are tough, it's, it like would struggle with, which is throwing it to the receivers and letting the big receiver make a play. Like that's the only team where I looked at it. I mean, I, and, and again, Lions are great. I think the Lions would have beat them, and I, you know, probably we'll see what happens with this whole 49ers game. But those other teams, I think the Vikings beat those teams. Ron, uh, your fi- uh, not fantasy football, your arena football and Ricky Foggy stories jogged my memory. We are getting an arena football team here in Minnesota called the Minnesota Myth, coached by Ricky Foggy. And it just so happens, Ron, that on Saturday, you, for a price of $100, could try out (laughs) at the uh, Larson Football Performance Center to make the Minnesota Myth. What do you say? Oh, I need a massage first. I need somebody (laughs) else's lower back. And I need uh, a couple other people's knees, and then I'll be able to do it. They just need that crafty veteran route runner who can move the chains, Ron. That's all we need. I can come in and be a receivers coach for Ricky. We'll have to get Ricky on my show, though. We'll have to, we'll have to do an arena football. Yeah. Uh, maybe get him yeah, on the there you go. 100%. There you do some go. Minnesota arena football talk well, on here and just see what happens. We'll see if he learned from Jay Gruden about how to deal with the team at halftime and deal with the quarterbacks. The one thing I do know is Ricky can't throw anymore. So I don't, I don't see him putting himself in the game. Uh, like, like Burt Reynolds in any, in a longest yard. Like I don't, I don't see Ricky <laughs> going in the game. Are, are you headed to the gym right now? Are you going to lifetime set up the cones in the gym, start working on the shuttle <laughs> and the, the 40 and the running 100. You've got 48 hours to, to get prepared for this run. Nine I'm o'clock sh- Saturday morning. Ah, Saturday morning. I wish I could. My daughter has a volleyball game, and my other daughter has a basketball game. Oh, classic! Can't do it. Ah, Perfect. classic. Perfect. Ron. Yeah, no calls uh, for me. Scouting I'm, report. I'm at, I'm scouting at the report. Gym today, Sam. I know there's a football party, but like we say in the basketball, I'm Kyle Anderson today. I'm moving slow motion. <laughs> I'm keeping defenders on their toes, and you know, I'm putting up buckets. That's it. I'm I'm Kyle Anderson for the day, though. That's I, every day I come to the gym. I got to embody somebody. I'm, today is Kyle Anderson day. Beautiful. Um, good luck with that. Let us know how it goes, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow on the roundtable. Good stuff. Right. Appreciate good it, Ron. Oh, that's funny. Um, Drake may talk when we return. Today's episode brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. It's January, which means it's the new year, which means a lot of small businesses are hiring. They're looking for that perfect hire that's going to bring their business to the next level in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs knows your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. You got to have good camaraderie, chemistry. They've got the tools to help you find the right pros for your team faster and for free. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when they use LinkedIn Jobs because there's more than a billion professionals in the LinkedIn network. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. 
and they know that small businesses are wearing a lot of hats, so they've got tools to help you write job descriptions as well. With LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy, so post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We are also brought to you by Game Time. Do you want to get tickets to the next big event? Whether that's sports, music, comedy, theater, Timberwolves and Grizzlies, late night tonight at Target Center, 9 p.m. I've looked it up. You can get in the door for a wonderful price. It was $18 when I last looked at it through game time. They've also got killer last-minute deals if you want to wait till like 8.58 p.m. and then go to the game and just roll in middle of the first quarter. Uh, they've got all-in prices, views from the seats, and the best price guarantee. Um, I love this little feature, too. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Download the Game Time app right now. Create an account. Use code Locked On for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code Locked On for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey, hey, what do you say, Draft Drake May? Should the Vikings do it? I think that Drake May is going in the top five. The Vikings pick 11th. To me, he is not a trade-up quarterback. This is not something like, if you're trading up for Drake May, it probably means that you're passing on, like, a Jaden Daniels. Um, May scares me as a trade-up option. I think that you take him with your pick, um, and maybe you're happy with that. I would not trade up for Drake May. So my hey, hey, what do you say, draft Drake May? Actually, I'm not that positive. Someone tell me I'm wrong or right, Luke Inman. Well, I just think even though everyone's already writing Caleb in at number one in Sharpie, that there will be at some point, it's a long draft process. We do this every year, three, four months. You basically see about every possible scenario by the time we get to draft, right? Between mock drafts, the big boards, uh, the combine shakes things up, senior bowl shakes things up. So even though all the tape's done, it still ends up being a very fluid situation. At some point, there will be conversations about Drake May going ahead of Caleb at number one, because it happened in November, man, I saw a bunch of people say, Hey, actually, they, people should get Drake May instead of Caleb. Well, you, then Caleb, why, why does Sam want to? Why, why do you want to pass on him then? What's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, this random Twitter user said that Drake May should go number one, and you don't even want to trade up for this guy. Well, <laughs> and here's why, though, too, because it's, it's kind of similar, and I'm not comparing him to Anthony Richardson, but the hype he got at the combine, Drake May is going to show up to the combine, six foot four, two twenty five, big frame, powerful runner, can create with his legs, got a lot of arm talent, all that, great field vision, things like that. He's going to show up to the combine. He's going to be bigger by a mile by everybody else. Caleb Williams, what six foot one, two hundred. Jane Daniels is a toothpick. Uh, Michael Penix, maybe the biggest guy, but I still think again, Drake May is going to impress and stick out to a lot of people. And at that point, and maybe this has already happened. People are going to start flinging out names like Josh Allen, Herbert, which I know has happened, Big Ben Roethlisberger, things like that. And once he starts getting comp to guys like that, and he shows up to the combine as the biggest and strongest guy of that group of the top four, five, six quarterbacks combined with the tape, I think the gap is going to start to be closed a little bit between him and Caleb. And he's not perfect. You're right, Sam. He's not perfect. Kind of sloppy technically. There's a lot I think you still have to project 
to his game at the NFL. But I think like we hear every single draft season, the cliches of he's got all the tools, he checks all the boxes that scouts, GMs, coaches, the media love to cling on to. I think you're going to see a similar Anthony Richardson type of hype start to get mm -hmm. conjured up in Indy. So I'm not saying he's going to have the same type of combine numbers, but he's going to stand out physically when he stands next to Caleb, who again, six foot one, Jaden Daniels, uh, he's got the size frame of, you know, a Sam Ekstrom out there, more or less. I think between that and the tape. Compliment to Jaden, really. It, right. I think between <laughs> that and the tape. Well, check Sam Ekstrom's combine footage out, actually, yeah. if you want to see the real. Still lives on YouTube. I yeah. think he ends up, there's conversation he ends up, could be the number one pick. I think at worst, though, he ends up going top two. Wow. So, okay, so here's my my concern. It's that you look at what his profile is, and it is very much Josh Allen. And it's so easy to point to Josh Allen and say, well, look at look at him. Took him a couple of years, but look at him now. And projecting or comparing is so dangerous mm -hmm. because Drake May is really inaccurate and he gets more inaccurate with volume, right? Like he's got games this year where he's 24 of 48, 16 of 36. God, that um, padded a lot of his stats against non-conference teams, like had four touchdowns against something called Campbell. Um, but he does have tools. Campbell Are Campbell's. those tools? Let's go. The fighting can the Dan Campbell's. Is that going to improve on the same trajectory that Josh Allen improved? There's no guaranteeing that at all. That's why I'm nervous to assume that because it another big bodied quarterback who can move a little bit did it, that uh Drake May will do it as well. So I have a question. I haven't watched any Drake May, so I I, I kind of have to sit this next? one out. Uh, probably he's coming up next because I'm cool. still working on Jaden Daniels stuff. But uh, is he going to look misleadingly well in shorts? Because that feels like the combine thing you guys are talking about. Is this going to be one of those uh, things I, where I, when okay. there's no pressure, he's going to go like throw a bunch of dimes and Zach Wilson this? Go ahead, Arif. Okay, so I, I think that you're all way overselling how raw Drake May is. I don't think he's that raw. I think there is some inaccuracy. I think that inaccuracy is concerning because it stems from, uh, you know, mechanical issues. But the issues are primarily lower body mechanics. I've said before that those concern me a lot less than upper body mechanic issues just because those tend to be, you know, this is not, you know, permanent. But those tend to be a bit more fixable. It also kind of separates them from Josh Allen. But he was like way more accurate at North Carolina than Josh Allen was at Wyoming. I don't like that comparison at all. Um, he also isn't nearly as athletic. He's got a very strong arm, but it's not nearly the arm strength of Allen. I don't think that he is. He's a huge upside prospect. I don't think that his upside is like seductive in the way that Anthony Richardson or Josh Allen are. I think it's very impressive. And I think that he does a very good job getting through his progressions. I think that he does do a very good job reading defenses. He's just risk. He just loves risk, right? He's a risk reward guy. I don't think he makes the wrong decision because he's reading the defense incorrectly. I think he makes the wrong decision because he thinks he rules, which <laughs> is hard to fault, honestly. <laughs> very Josh <laughs> like like yeah, right right yeah yeah but it, but it's like it's like it's not that he's like oh man you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have thrown to that guy you know uh the rotation was like this he's double covered the safety's lurking you didn't see him 
it's like you shouldn't have thrown to that guy because that window closed half a second before you thought it would or something along those lines. It's not I don't think it's a misreading defenses thing. And his, his accuracy is not like wonderful, but it's not like catastrophic or anything. I like him a lot. Um, the one thing, Sam, is I, I think phrases like if he if he if you have a top five pick and he falls to you, draft him. But I wouldn't trade up into the top five. I think that's nonsense. Those are the same thing. They're the same thing. They cost the same amount of dollars. Like that's that's well, they all don't. it means. Trading up costs way more. And trading down is an opportunity cost that costs the exact same. It's the same thing, Sam. You are giving up the exact same number of draft uh, uh, picks by by picking them where you are because you're not trading down. It's an opportunity cost. So okay, so let's let's play this out, and this won't happen. If you have a top ten grade on Drake May, um, but not top three, is my board positionally three. adjusted? So yes. So so you you have evaluated and determined that Drake May is a top 10 quarterback or a top 10 player. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a top three. So mm-hmm. that is a bad value proposition to give up assets to move up for him. However, if he were to fall to 11, suddenly it becomes a good value proposition. Now at the quarterback spot, it's risky to make your decisions based on sort of the value bet aspect of it. But that is, that is what I'm getting at. Uh, I think I get what you're saying in that trading up, like if trading up is inefficient, then those costs might actually be bigger. Like it might be worth more assets for the, the, the team at 11 to, to trade up and pick may than the team that's just already up there because trading up is inefficient because of like the market of draft capital just costs more, especially if you're trading up for a quarterback. Like, is that the, the point that you're trying to make that, Oh. He's maybe worth it if you already have the pick, but he's not worth like swimming upstream, as it were. I'll I'll add that the analytics that tell us that trading up is bad make a specific carve out for quarterbacks that they don't tend to apply to quarterbacks, and then even though there's an extra cost to trading up for a quarterback historically, that they tend to figure that that's actually worth it. So I'll add that it's not the same and, as trading. And, up and in the same in the same vein, probably not worth it to take a quarterback at 11 just because there's value if you don't think it's a good quarterback or a good enough quarterback right so yeah, yeah. Sure. You gotta take the Whoop. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly. um okay yes. but yeah to, to bring it back to a discussion about like drake may specifically not about trading up because i think the existence of Jaden daniels complicates this discussion uh, a decent amount because like why would you trade for drake may when you can get Jaden daniels right um I, I think that he's a very good quarterback prospect. And in fact, I, I very much sympathize with the people that like him more than Caleb Williams. And I think um, though people overplay the mental makeup stuff about Caleb Williams to the point that I'm like very concerned. And I think it's kind of, I don't want to say the word disgusting. It's too strong, but it's, it's distasteful the way that they talk about Caleb Williams and some of the stuff that he does, I don't think is a red flag at all. I do think that he is not quite mentally prepared um, to to play quarterback in the NFL at the moment. And I do think Drake may probably is. You can't tell. I can't know. But based off of the things that I am aware of, which is a very limited perspective, I think that that is a differentiating factor in favor of Drake may without trying to impugn Caleb Williams or the fact that um, like he's emotionally available to his mom or whatever people are complaining about. He hates his nails. Yeah, whatever. I don't care about that. 
<laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, that's what people are talking about. But I do think that there is something about like Drake Mays, especially like the mental fortitude late in games when it's close, right? That I think is is something that, you know, as an analytics person, I don't love digging in on and talking about or focusing too much on, but I do think is a differentiating factor. Um, this is stunning, but we've run out of time. And in fact, on overtime, once again, um, it's crazy. This, this never happens. So here's what we're going to do. We're tabling our defensive tackle discussion to Monday. We will Perfect. get into free agent targets, defensive tackles. So this whole show is just a big tease, which is what they teach us to do. They teach us to tease. We're teasing to Monday. Yeah. That's called a That's horizontal. Exactly how they teach. This it. is okay. what we are taught to do is dissatisfy our listeners, set an expectation yeah. and then fail to meet it. Yep. Yeah. It's exactly. the opposite of coming what back. Scotty tells us. In Shark Tank. <laughs> Keep dangling that carrot. Um, over like promise under deliver of tier tart <laughs> <laughs> i was going to talk about tier tart i like tier of course you were yeah obviously uh yeah i'm a big fan first contract tier yeah. tart also yeah really fun to say um we will do a bonus video with our divisional round bets arif Hassan has to go in like 11 minutes so we better hurry uh thank you for watching thank you for listening to today's minnesota football party talk to you monday